Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show with guest host Brian Weber on CBS Sports Radio. It's another hour of the program, and it's great to have you with us on a very active Thursday. Brian Weber with you. Hop aboard at 1-800-636-8686. Emails, RomanAvatake.com. We've already had a batch of tweets. We'll do it again in 20 minutes. You can hit me up on the X. X me. B.W. Weber. Weber with two Bs. Last time I was here, I said Weber with two Xs, and a few of you thought I was either having a stroke or... Working in the adult film industry, that was an attempt at humor that fell short, as most of what Uncle Brian attempts to do. We're going to talk more Russell Wilson here. We'll connect it to Joe Flacco as well. Not because both are now moving deeper and deeper into the realm of being somebody in their advanced years, and it comes from somebody who wishes they were still in their 30s. But the NFL scriptwriters, whoever they are, and I don't know how they were working during the writer's strike here in Southern California, as I come to you from our Regal Studios here in SoCal, but these content creators are the best. How in the world do they come up with the notion that Joe Flacco, of all people, the same Joe Flacco the Jets did not want, Because they were invested in the coup hunter. They thought, yep, he was going to give Aaron Rodgers hell. Remember that quote? Whoever comes in here, I'm going to make their life miserable. And now it's the Trevor Simeon experience tonight. As the Jets take on the Browns, Cleveland, the most resilient team in all of football. And think about some of the combinations we could have when we get to the playoffs. Again, the script writers are just the football gods are smiling on all of us. It's looking likely Matthew Stafford and the Rams could be at Ford Field taking on the Lion team. I mentioned in passing that has won their division for the first time since 1993. Because I am older than hopefully my ebullient on a big word Thursday delivery suggests, and I have a lot of friends from Michigan, I am well-versed in the decades of suffering of Lions fans. The curse of Bobby Lane. Last championship, 1957. Since then, they've won a single playoff game, 1991. It has been absolutely a football crime as to how the Ford family has run that team for decades. But we could have that confluence coming together. We could have... A Browns team that, depending on how you view Joe Flacco, and I'm going to give you my assessment coming up, but we certainly know about the strength of that defense that has carried this team through the grotesque knee injury that we watched Nick Chubb suffer on Monday Night Football, a battered offensive line, a conga line of quarterbacks, including creepy Deshaun Watson, who finally got healthy enough to make a cameo, and now we're on Joe Flacco. What would happen if we had a Super Bowl, and Jim will be there, wall-to-wall coverage coming up from Nevada next month. Quick sidebar. It is a soft day. Nevada. Also, don't say Oregon if you're on the East Coast. Took me a long time to figure that out when I came West. What would happen if we had a Browns-Lions Super Bowl? Would that be Armageddon? I, I could hear the four horsemen and the clippity-clop 
of the hoofs in the background. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but given how bizarre this year has been, specifically at the quarterback position, anything is possible, and that's why the NFL is king. The entire business model hinges on parity, and as Tom Brady, who has never said one interesting thing in his life, summed it up, and it was viewed somehow as a hot take, a lot of mediocrity as well, but... You're not going to turn off your station, as Mike Tyson once said, because we can't get enough of football. Gambling's a large part of that. And it's become a staple on this program on Thursdays. When Jim is here, I look forward to it every week. James Kelly is a good friend and a good handicapper. I can't reach out to the big head. He would not slum for a guest host. So we will try to replicate that magic coming up in 35 minutes. Can you make some money on the bowl games or the Thursday nighter in the NFL? We'll check in with Tim Murray, host for VEASAN, final hour of the program. Looking forward to getting caught up with an old friend, a man who, as my radio partner, had to sit next to me for seven hours of commercial-free audio. He should be in the Hall of Fame based on that. Now, I, I probably should have been put in a asylum based on some of the days of shouting and ripping the microphone off the moorings even more than I'm trying to do (laughs) during this program. I'm talking about Eric Allen, who is a skilled broadcaster for years, worked for ESPN. Now he's part of the Raiders broadcast team, and he finally got the long overdue good news. He's one of 15 finalists for the Hall of Fame. He should have been enshrined in Canton a long time ago. I'm hoping the next step is he gets that call from the hall. We'll talk to Eric about his reaction to the news that was announced last night, and then we'll head around the league, including getting his view, and I'll give you the transparent perspective. He works for the team, so he's not going to wind up in the world of speculation, but remember when we heard that the pending divorce was coming between Russell Wilson and Seattle, the Raiders were mentioned. And wouldn't that be the old-school Raider mentality? Get an aging quarterback, try to plug him in. But Mark Davis is even more enigmatic than his old man. At least Al knew football before he started losing his faculties. Mark, unfortunately, and we know that appearance is not show fodder, unless you guys want to remind me that I'm morbidly obese with your tweets coming up in 15 minutes. Let's just say that it's hard to trust Mark Davis's judgment in anything based on going with that hairstyle, and we'll leave it there. I'm Brian Weber, in for Jim Rome, 1-800-636-8686. More of your tweets on the way. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. We spent the majority of the opening monologue talking about Russell Wilson. And I know the audience is always changing, especially during a holiday week. So I'm going to reframe the analysis, taking it in a slightly different direction. If you're Russell Wilson at this point and you're self-aware, and I defended him to a degree in the last hour of the program, but now the Seahawks have given up on you for different reasons than the Broncos. And now Sean Payton is making you, Russell Wilson, the fall guy, for a lack of success this year in Denver. With the understanding they're not dead yet, Monty Python. They're not mathematically eliminated from making the playoffs. Now, it would be a miracle. 13 things would have to happen in succession. So they're effectively going nowhere. But the fact that this team 
somehow clawed back to relevancy after that one in five debacle of a start to the season, at least is a reflection of the commitment and the buy-in from those players. And Russ has not been bad. I don't think a fair, objective assessment of what's going on surrounding a 7-8 and eight Denver team can say that Russell Wilson is the problem. Now, if you're a Sean Payton defender, or if you're within that organization, let's just say you're part of the Walmart hierarchy, and here's your lame sports talk radio analogy, the Walmart gang are going with their manager and Sean Payton over their greeter, their best greeter, Russ would be a great greeter. Let's ride. And I've had a couple conversations with Russell Wilson. I thought he was terrific. Now, my opinion doesn't matter, but Russ knows how to read a room. He's the type of person who will drop your name in that obligatory eight-minute conversation on Radio Row as he's trying to get to whatever he's getting paid to shill. Now, a lot of people find that to be inauthentic, or they say, as Sean Payton did, that he kisses too many babies, that he's always running for office. I can understand how teammates would find that less than genuine because we focus so much on the quarterback position. As my MVP analysis was rather shallow, if I can critique myself on the air, but I'm just telling it like it is. We haven't had a running back win the MVP award since the 2012 season when Adrian Peterson couldn't be denied coming all the way back from that torn ACL on Christmas Eve the year before, and he rushed for better than 2,000 yards. Before that, you got to go back to LT, Sean Alexander. At least running backs had a chance, but it's been a decade since a running back had that kind of backing from the electorate, and it's never going to go back to where it used to be because, as we spent so much time this summer chopping it up about, the running back position has been largely marginalized for economic reasons. All quarterbacks all the time. And even if you're a Tyreek Hill supporter, a wide receiver has never won that award. Closest that we have as a historical comp is Jerry Rice, the greatest of them all, And I can make the argument the greatest football player we've ever seen won the AP's version of the MVP back in the day when the Niners were running the sport. But if you're Russell Wilson and you have reinvented yourself, a la the Jim Rome reinvention project, I'm Brian Weber in for Jim. Your interaction on Twitter coming up in 15 minutes. Hit me up, B.W. Weber. Weber with two B's will also talk just a smidge of NBA Piston fan, I feel your pain. And I'm going to make the argument, although it's a direct contradiction, the Pistons aren't that bad. Now, I realize that is a lava-filled observation. They're going to win their tw- win. They're going to lose their 28th consecutive game tonight in Boston. They almost beat the Bucks in the midst of this grizzly, not grizzly Adams, grizzly run. They haven't won since October, but... If you pay attention, there's some talent on this roster. They won 17 games last year, but it reminds us why we love sports, even when it's something as mind-boggling and defying of logic as what's going on surrounding the Pistons. That's coming up. Russell Wilson has not done himself any favors by decisions he's made off the field. With the office, with the crew, 
setting himself away from the team because more than any other sport, you need all 53 dudes on the roster. It's not one-on-one basketball. It's not arm wrestling. It's not unwatchable pickleball. Although if the phone rings, I might do some play-by-play in the future now that I have more availability. But I don't think it's fair to pin this all on Russ because if you've been watching these games, he has played better than average. Now, your pushback could be, For the amount of money that he's due coming up, he should be far better than average. He should be in the top 5% of whatever threshold you want to use. I get that. But the way this deal has all come together, it just feels like scapegoating. And I understand the financial reasons not to play him. And it's the direct parallel to what we saw with Derek Carr a year ago. And I guess if you're a starting quarterback and Jared Stidham gets signed as your backup, start packing your bags. He is the black widow of the NFL because he was the replacement for Carr. Sean Payton is spinning it like somehow he's going to be John Elway down the road. But remember, Payton did have enough confidence in Stidham to give him decent money as a backup, $10 million bucks over two years. What do the Broncos do in the future? Jared Stidham is not the guy. Especially, Bronco fan, because you're telling me your expectations are higher based on the history of this franchise that now is going to miss the playoffs in all probability for an eighth consecutive year. So if you're not going with Sidham and we're looking around a league in which the Browns got so desperate, they called Joe Flacco from his backyard. He was red zoning it just like the rest of us. Presumably working out a little bit, but that's how much of a dearth of talent we have at the quarterback position. And what's Denver's solution? Right now it's Stidham, who's just going to be a placeholder. I guess they could count on the fact this is a deep and talented draft class. Missing the playoffs puts you in the middle of the pack. If you want to get aggressive, although they have very little draft capital based on everything they gave up to get Russell Wilson from Seattle. But let's just say they stand pat. You're not clearly going to get Caleb Williams. You're not going to get Drake May. But you could target someone like Michael Penix Jr., who I'm a big fan of. If you watched him at Indiana or more recently at UW, you're going to see him with a national spotlight in the second national semifinal. Sugar Bowl probably going to be a wildly entertaining game between UW and Texas, especially because the Huskies can't stop anyone defensively. Penix can spin it. Now, the problem is he's had a long history of injuries that I think some teams are going to ding him on when it comes to their draft evaluation. But if that's the answer, because Sean Payton wants somebody he believes he can plug into his system, we'll find out. But to move on from Russell Wilson this dramatically and to do it in a way to embarrass him, A, tells me, Sean Payton has total control, which we knew to be true. B, if you're a big-name free agent, you're going to believe anything Sean Payton tells you in the future? Because he went on every radio show he could, including the Jim Rome show, on Radio Row last year in Arizona, and had all of these platitudes virtually guaranteeing it was going to work. And that, and I'm paraphrasing here, he wouldn't have taken the job in Denver if he didn't think he and Russ could not only coexist, but thrive. So where's the accountability from Sean Payton? 
effectively what he's doing is saying, don't look at me, look over there. Look at that guy who's not going to be playing anymore. And we get the financial element. It's the right business move to sit him because you don't want to be on the hook for another $37 million. But this is just the final example of a series of events in which Sean Payton has tried to embarrass and emasculate Russell Wilson. Remember early in the year, he threatened to, quote-unquote, wristband him because going public with what was percolating around the organization and being linked to unnamed sources, put your name out, as Herm once said, Russ was not picking up the offense quick enough for Sean Payton's liking, and he was going to make him wear the wristband like he was a freaking rookie to get all of the minutia handled better. Okay, so that was example one. How about a couple weeks ago on national TV in Detroit, lighting up Russ for everyone to see in his grill, airing him out. Now, you could say, hey, fill in radio hack. You don't know anything about competition. And you're right. I got pushed out of competitive sports in the eighth grade. That's why I decided if I was going to have any chance to be around the business, best I could do was clutch a microphone. Proved to be a ill-fated choice, but we are in life where we're supposed to be. That's a story I'm telling myself. I understand emotions run hot. I get it. Things get heated, especially in football, because it's a collision sport. But you can't tell me Sean Payton didn't know what he was doing. That was designed once more to deflect. Don't look at me, the play caller and the head coach. Look at that quarterback. It's his fault. So there's no consequence. Sean Payton only has to be concerned about the people who are signing his check. And they have unlimited resources. This feels like an NBA move. To eat $39 million guaranteed and no need for a GoFundMe for Russell Wilson. And if you want to spin it as something semi-positive for Russ, wherever he goes, he can play at the minimum for his new team to help them with salary cap flexibility. So whether it's the Patriots, the Falcons, or the Raiders, Russ is going to get every dime of that $39 million plus a little bit more for his new club. But to say in any way the failings of the Broncos, who had a good season until the last few weeks, and I know everything's magnified in the stretch run, and going 1-3 over the last month is an indictment of the whole team. I'm not saying, especially for a team with the Super Bowl tradition of the Broncos and the passion of that fan base, 7-8 is good enough. But it would be foolish, lazy, and inane to put this all on Russell Wilson. And that's what it feels like because Sean Payton needs to look in the mirror as well. Still, I listen to a lot of radio online. I don't have many hobbies or much of a life. If you just dip into what's going on in Denver, the vast majority of the fan base, as far as I can tell, non-scientific sample size, agrees with Sean Payton because Russ did so many things to not endear himself to Bronco fans. Let's ride. 
wearing his own jersey to the press conference. All the stories we heard about that office. Remember, not on the third floor, just the second floor next to Luca, And coming across as disingenuous, the chaos of last year didn't help his cause. But if we're just having a football conversation, 26 touchdowns against eight interceptions, he had a solid year. But Sean Payton now effectively has the keys to the entire organization, and he's decided it's not his fault. Blame it on Russ. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. 1-800-636-8686. Emails, an option, RomeAndHaveATake.com. More of your tweets coming up in just over five minutes. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs in 20 minutes. We get you the view from Las Vegas. Can you maximize your wagering possibilities on these meaningless bowl games? Plus, we'll focus on the games that count with the national semifinals coming up on Monday. Looking forward to checking in with Tim Murray of VEASAN. Up next, as promised, just a little bit of NBA because even I don't want to talk football, although I probably should, solely for three hours. I'm exhaling already just on behalf of all Piston fans. Could it get even more hideous moving forward after they lose? And I'm putting it in the loss column because they're in Boston tonight. Their 28th straight game. Are the Pistons ever going to win another game? I'm going to run through how things could play out coming up. And should Kevin Durant's New Year's resolution be to permanently put his phone down and get off of social media? That's coming up. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. And we're brought to you by Discover. Did you know Discover wants everyone to feel special? That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. Always a delight to spend time with you in the jungle. If I can self-report to a degree, I realize my style is not for everybody. There's a reason why I'm a fill-in host. And two versions of the Brian Weber show have been canceled over the years. But when I give out the phone number, it's connected to sincerity. Not just a radio guy being a carnival barker. We already took a call in the first hour, and I'm back with you tomorrow and Monday, supersizing the coverage. So, if you want to get in the rotation, 1-800-636-8686 at the same time. I'm never going to build a show around calls because it is a monumental opportunity to keep the chair warm for Jim. And theoretically, if you listen closely, I got about four and a half hours worth of content I'm trying to shove into a three-hour bag. Write your own joke about me and my dad jeans I'm wearing right now, even though you can't see them, because no simulcast. We're talking NBA briefly coming up, then in 10 minutes, sports investing. Can you make money on these meaningless bowl games, especially now with the variable of opt-outs? A lot of moving parts. Looking forward to checking in with a guy I used to do radio with. Tim Murray now working for VEASAN, and he's on top of all things in the gambling space. Your tweets, Peter G's. Hey, Brian, just want to send a shout-out to all the Fire Sean McDermott fans who suddenly lost their voices on war not owning your disgusting loser fans. Wow, that got dark in a hurry. I probably should pre-read this stuff. 
Well, we feel passionately about sports. I think most of the Bills fans, and I have relatives in Rochester, Rochacha, who live and die with this stuff, still are not fans of Sean McDermott. And remember, McDermott got the dreaded Cliff Kingsbury contract extension over the summer. So Buffalo is not guaranteed of anything, although they still have the opportunity to win the division because they sum up just how much parity there is in this NFL season, how wildly things shift game to game. And since I've been spending so much time talking about Denver, didn't it feel like the end of the season effectively for the Bills when they lost that atrocious game to the Broncos, and now they come back with the quality win at KC, although everyone's winning at KC. And we're going to talk about the issues of the Chiefs coming up in the final hour when we check in with Eric Allen, who got the great news last night. He is a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, part of the Raider broadcast team. He saw how the silver and black punched the Chiefs in the face on Christmas. Kansas City now four home losses. That's coming up in the last hour of the program. Planet Wilson won. At B.W. Weber, B-Web, the best way to enjoy a Pop-Tart is with a bucket of mayonnaise, regards the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Yes, I saw the viral moments. I'm not watching these crappy games. I know that sounds, again, like I'm not doing my job. I have no investment in that space. And here's my thought process. If I wouldn't watch a matchup during the regular season when it has meaning and the stars play— I'm not watching a crappy exhibition, but I saw way too much mayonnaise being consumed on camera and the bucket of mayonnaise. And yes, even with some of my challenges over the years in terms of putting on a pound or two, I have never been reduced to eating mayonnaise straight out the jar. Although I know someone who did once. Finally, JJ Sportmo, the Pop-Tart Bowl is perfect. It's just as good as an orange bowl or peach bowl, yet a pair of toaster slots in a football combines all that is American. We're getting deep and esoteric. Was there subtext there? I don't know exactly what the point was, but thank you for listening closely because I mentioned, given the culinary preferences that have been expressed on this program, and I am the fattest person connected to the brand these days, I have never had a Pop-Tart. I'm not anti-kids' foods or processed foods or sugar or any of those things. I just never was allowed to have one as a kid. And I think it would be odd if you saw me in that aisle at your grocery store looking for, I don't even know the flavors. Now I'm just going to try to freelance here. I would imagine chocolate, cinnamon. I'm not watching NC State and Kansas State. And now we're talking about the NBA because once more, especially when we're not on TV, I get a little bit sideways here. Okay, if you are in Detroit, revel in every moment the Lions have provided. I think it's going to be a tough game against Dallas, who can't do anything on the road. And we saw that again in a game in which they had 19 different opportunities to defeat the Dolphins, especially with that bizarre play call going to the fullback. And I realized the fullback had been involved in that series. In the opening drive, that was so promising. I thought Tony Pollard was in, and then what a remarkable open field tackle that was to deny him getting the ball across the goal line. But Dallas, because they are the Cowboys, finds a way to lose, especially on the road. Just three road wins this year, and the schedule matters. 
They won at the Panthers. They won at the Chargers. They won at the Giants. Not exactly murderer's row. But I think the Lions, given their defensive inconsistency and Dallas playing at home where they don't lose, it's going to be a long night for Detroit. But nothing approximating to the pain and suffering that Piston fans are enduring. And I'll say it again. I probably should whisper this. I love the NBA as much as the NFL. Some ways it's a better watch. Plus volume. Quantity is quality. I want the 82 games. I love NBA Twitter. It's a good night just to watch NBA TV and see the memes that are popping up. The Pistons are not this bad. Skip, you are what your record says you were. They won 17 games last year. They almost beat the Bucs. That was a two-point loss. 2-28, and and now it's at a stage where it's a car wreck in which most of us cannot avert our gaze. And they're not winning tonight on the road at Boston. Now they'll be 28 in a row, which locks them up with the Sixers as they were imploding, trusting the process back in the Sam Henke era, 2014-2015. If you watch Detroit play, they're still competing. This is not about a lack of effort. They have some talent. Cade Cunningham can ball out. I watched the latest loss to the Nets the other night. He had 41. They were up double digits in the first half. Monty Williams is a two-time coach of the year. He was in the NBA Finals just a couple years ago with Phoenix. But this now has gotten psychological, and it reminds us why we love sports for good and bad. Because life is so monotonous and so predictable. You get to this, and it just becomes bizarre and defying any sort of description. And here's what's coming up. Home against the Raptors, looks like loss number 29. At the Rockets, at the Jazz, at the Warriors, at the Nuggets. That gets them to 33 in a row. Home for the Kings, I'll take the Aaron Fox and company. 34 in a row, and their best shot, if they don't beat the Raptors this weekend, would be against the Spurs January 10th in Detroit. At this point, I feel your pain, Piston fan. Empathy has to kick in. But I don't know how it's getting better anytime soon. I'll skip the Kevin Durant thought. I think you know the summation. He is way too sensitive and needs to put his phone down. Coming up, we're taking you to Vegas. I can't give you the glory that is big head bets, but I can bring you insights as to how you can maximize the cavalcade of bowls that continue, which ones have the greatest value for sports investors. Looking forward to checking in with Tim Murray of Eason. Now it's time for a sports update. Dexter Henry has with guest host Brian Weber on CBS Sports Radio. We roll on on this very active Thursday. We'll have an opportunity for more interaction coming up in the final hour of the program. 1-800-636-8686. Emails, romanavitake.com. Conversation never stops on Twitter. That's B.W. Weber. Weber with two Bs. Since it is a Thursday, I want to pay homage to the great James Kelly and a staple of the program, Big Head Bets, by bringing you the view from Las Vegas. Let's say hello to Tim Murray from VEASAN. Tim, Brian Weber with you. You and I both ran the late, great NBC Sports Radio into the ground, so I'm glad you were gainfully employed, and I appreciate you taking the time today on CBS Sports Radio. 
Ah, uh, yes. Pour one out for old NBC Sports Radio. We had a good time. We had a good run. We had a good run. Uh, I think I hosted the last ever show, technically, on that network. So it's your fault that Jack Silver is no longer in the industry. Hey, <laughs> we have a professional football game coming up tonight. The Joe Flacco made-for-TV movie continues. Jets and Browns, what's the latest number, and how are you approaching this one? Yeah, right now you have the uh, the Jets as a seven-and-a-half-point underdog in this one, and you know, I, I do. I, I like to play a lot of dogs, and I like to. Uh, I like to get ugly. Uh, case in point, uh, as we sit here on this uh, lovely Thursday, uh, I have some money on uh, Boston College. Certainly, they were an ugly dog uh, in this uh, Fenway Bowl. But boy, doesn't it feel like everybody in the world is uh, hook, line, and sinker on Joe Flacco? He's comeback player of the year. What a story! And uh, the Browns are, you know. They're the team that no one wants to face in the AFC playoffs. So um, I'm going to hold my nose here, and it's, it's going to be a hard hold. But I, I'm going to look at the Jets plus 7.5 in this spot. Very low total uh, that has continued to come down. Uh, there are some spots here in Vegas that are as low as 33.5, mostly 34. So, you know, can the Browns go out and shut out the Jets? Of course they could because it's the New York Jets, and we haven't seen a, a much of a pulse offensively from them this year. But – uh, I think the Jets, north of a touchdown, I'm going to take those points. I will say this, the books will love a Jets uh, outright win because everybody and their mother is starting a teaser tonight <laughs> with the Cleveland Browns down to seven and a half. That typical teaser, you get through seven, you get through three, those main spots. So uh, everybody's going to have the Browns in a teaser to start week 17. That is all excellent logic. We are getting you the view from Nevada with Tim Murray from VEASAN. Great follow on Twitter, Tim Murray. One, Tim, you follow the college game very closely. So amongst the bowl games today, and you self-reported your connection to what's going on at Fenway Park, I'm more of a casual bowl follower, but even I know that the Alamo Bowl should be intriguing because you've got a top 15 matchup between Arizona and Oklahoma. Jet Fish has done a remarkable job of jump-starting the Wildcats program. How do you view this one? Yeah, I, I can't wait for this one. Uh, when I looked at the bowl lineup, and I know – Everyone has their jokes about the opt-outs and, you know, no one cares about these bowl games and, you know, fine, make your jokes. We all like to watch them. It's the best background noise of the entire year when you've got family and friends over for the holidays. And this one should be fun. Uh, we've seen plenty of Alamo bowls that are very high scoring and this one should be no different. You got a total as high as 60, uh, in this game between Arizona and Oklahoma. And, uh, to your point, look, Jed Fish has been absolutely remarkable this year in the turnaround. And I think a lot of people are just assuming, uh, to the casual fans point, uh, you know, uh, point of view that, okay, Dylan Gabriel left Oklahoma. So there's going to be a massive drop off. I don't think that's the case. Uh, they have Jackson Arnold, who is a five star recruit, and they're really excited about what Jackson Arnold can bring to the table here. So I think this is going to be fascinating. Um, you know, if, uh, if you like the live bet, I think this has a, the potential of being a really fascinating type of game. Uh, in, in that regard, I think they're going to be swings of momentum. Uh, Oklahoma has lost their offensive coordinator. Jeff Levy left to go uh, take over the Mississippi State job. But uh, their new um, you know, offensive coordinator, Seth Luttrell, was the longtime head coach of North Texas. So I think this game has the potential for a shootout. Um, if forced to play it, I would probably take the points with Oklahoma here. Uh, in this spot. They have more opt-outs, certainly, than Arizona. 
uh, motivation, you would think, maybe a little bit more on the Wildcat side. But uh, I'm just fascinated and intrigued by uh, to see what uh, Jackson Arnold can bring to the table because I think this kid has the potential to be a, a star in Norman. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome, chatting with Tim Murray of Eason. Tim, a quick sidebar on opt-outs, and I want to leave enough time for your thoughts on the national semifinals coming up on Monday. How are you going to approach the Orange Bowl? Because – We all knew the Jordan Travis situation changed everything for Florida State. I'm just looking at who's available. Uh, Are they going to the seventh string? And and how bad of a beatdown could it be when they face Georgia? Yeah, how much time do you have? I know there's hard outs. Make this in about 30 seconds, and then we'll move to the national semifinals. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the news the other day, uh, Tate Rodemaker, the backup quarterback for Florida State, hit the transfer portal. So Brock Glenn, who we all got to see in the ACC championship, he will be the starter against this Georgia defense. You're looking at opt-outs for Florida State of Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman, Jaheim Bell, Trey Benson, Jared Verse. And then on the other side, there's going to be plenty of opt-outs for Georgia as well. Uh, it could be ugly. It's the biggest point spread of the entire bowl season right now as Georgia is, I believe last check was a 19-and-a-half-point favorite, actually up to 20. So this is the biggest spread of the entire bowl season. Uh, I would say you play a Florida State team total under, uh, if you want to go game under, uh, that could be a way to. My only worry is, does Georgia put up more points to get to the over? So uh, if you're looking at Florida State, uh, anything you know in single digits, I- I'd be surprised if Florida State gets the double digits uh, in this game, to be honest, with everybody that's opted out in this Orange Bowl. Tim, I'll give you a two-minute warning, which is unfair because you're so comprehensive, but how do you see the semis, and then what's your matchup for the national title game? Yeah, I flip-flopped, which is never a good thing too much uh, for the Rose Bowl. My initial play was the under. I think these two teams will, will play at low, uh, you know, slow pace. But, you know, when, uh, when you hear trendy dog, that always makes you worried. And, boy, uh, different sportsbooks have reporting three-to-one ticket counts already on Alabama uh, in this spot. Um, the more and more I think about it, I did a hit the other day, and I said, ah, I kind of lean Alabama. I think I'm going to flip here. I, I, I think I'm going to go with the Wolverines. The market is starting to move back. There's been a lot of resistance there. Uh, this game has, has pretty much hung Michigan minus one, two-point favorite. So uh, I think the ability to run the ball on Alabama, which in the final regular season game against Auburn, uh, they struggled to stop the run. I think Michigan's got the capabilities. I like the under, uh, and I, I would lean Michigan here to, uh, to win the Rose Bowl. Tim, great information. I appreciate the insights, and you did it with excellent clock management. Continued success. I enjoy all the content you're pushing out across VEASAN's platforms, and I look forward to meeting you in person when we have the NBC Sports reunion. All right. Yeah, I'll call Jack right now, and we'll, uh, we'll get that on the books. Okay? Big budget. Deep pockets to fund that. Thank you, Tim. Happy holidays. All right. See ya. Tim Murray of VEASAN, a colleague of mine of the now-defunct National Network, the I'll take some ownership for running into the ground. Since we were mentioning what's coming up with the National Semis on Monday, good nugget from Dan Wolken, who covers college football as a general columnist as well for USA Today. Alabama, according to Dan's report on the X, is not allowing their players to watch film on their own iPads as they usually do in SEC play as what he's calling a quote-unquote protective measure due to the Michigan sign-stealing scandal only watching in groups. Like Jason Stewart once watched some material with nine other people in the dorm room 
in Fullerton. You can tell I'm a long-time clone. I'm Brian Weber, and for Jim Rome, we will get back to the college football coming up in the final hour of the program. Jim Harbaugh and Nick Saban looked like they belonged in the Hall of Presidents yesterday at Disneyland. Maybe it was just the way the photo was cropped. I guess it could be AI. I could be AI right now, right? How hard would it be to replace me? You would just have to have a range of big words loaded into some software. Occasionally, there you go, some verbal undulation. But Harbaugh, at this point, has become almost a parody of himself. And when he was asked direct questions, because he's back in Southern California, used to play for the Chargers, about potential interest in that opening, and in general what his coaching future looks like, effectively went back to that, it's not an offense, not a defense, it's a we-fence answer. It, it is like a computer, just spitting out a series of words in no particular order. But what are you going to do if you're a reporter? If you're talking to an automaton, you're not going to get anything with the follow-up. As we get closer to the final hour of the program, really looking forward to reconnecting with an old friend, Eric Allen, former radio partner of mine. It's reunion day here on the Jim Rome Show. Of far more importance, Eric got the positive news he's been waiting for. He has been a semifinalist a handful of times for enshrinement in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He took the next step last night. He's now a finalist to get that gold jacket. We'll get his reaction, and then we'll take you across the NFL as he's a broadcaster for the Raiders and talk about potentially Russell Wilson lining up nicely with the silver and black. One more hour on the way. You can hop aboard at 1-800-636-8686. Keep the tweets coming. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome on CBS Sports Radio.